0: If you are the enjoying sort... Or a sad boy. Or a sad boy. Sad boys welcome. Hey, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Elliot.
1: And I'm Audrey.
0: And this is the podcast where we defy the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes, and instead, get to know... Who they really were.
1: All the messy bits. Every week.
0: Every week. Every week. And actually speaking of messy bits. Uh, that's
1: that's where we're starting this yeah. week.
0: Yeah. So well so recently I have been enjoying uh, an unusual amount of reality television.
1: Is enjoying the right word?
0: No definitely not. Consuming? <laughs> Consuming. <laughs> slowly letting it seep into me. Um, yeah
1: we're at the like tail end of things to watch on Streaming services. Yeah,
0: you go through a couple like A-list series and catch up on those things you wanted to watch. And like six months in, you're like, Skin Wars, I guess? (laughs) Yeah. Skin Wars? Yeah,
1: really rooting for Rick season three.
0: Yeah, the body paint has been an interesting touch. But there was a drama in this most recent episode. I mean, there's always
1: drama if you pay enough attention. (laughs) I mean, yes. Uh, If you care enough, there's always drama. (laughs) If you care enough,
0: it's extremely high stakes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that has been... That has been the extent of the excitement in my world.
1: Yeah. Well, we share the same world. And I can second that that is the most exciting thing happening.
0: World's horrific. Oh, yeah. And to shut ourselves off for an hour a day, Mm -hmm. the body painting is not a bad choice.
1: Right. And this is why we do this podcast every week, so that, you know, a few hundred thousand folks can... Not 100,000. A few hundred (laughs) slash up to 1,000 folks can. Oh,
0: I would just say putting it out there like a secret. There you go.
1: Right. Aspirationally. (laughs) Can shut off reality and listen to our nonsense.
0: So let's talk about the horrors of the last great American Civil War.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) So that's where we're going this week.
0: Who's our hero this week, Audrey?
1: (laughs) Okay. So this week we are talking about the oft-requested Abraham Lincoln. Honest Abe himself. That's the one. Okay, so this week has a larger-than-normal caveat. I know we do this every week, but this feels is, like especially important to communicate. There are over 15,000 books written about Abraham Lincoln.
0: And I can, I can personally attest to the fact that Audrey read no more than half of those no in more. preparation for this week's episode.
1: If you are looking for a comprehensive, in-depth detailed, accurate account of Abraham Lincoln's life. This is not the podcast for you. We're we're going to be breezy? Breezy. This is going to be high level, focused mostly on one very misunderstood part of his legacy. And it is going to be like a, a skimmer.
0: A a skimmer of the information that, like, is not generally focused on in the popular culture mythos of Abraham Lincoln.
1: I would say, uh, especially in the conversations about Abraham Lincoln, this contemporary moment, they are not only not discussed, this part of his legacy is... Actively ignored or suppressed.
0: Actively suppressed in the midst of us being in a political environment where like major political actors are calling themselves the Lincoln Project, for example, right? Exactly. They are claiming the mantle, but they are not actually delving into the reality of the man's complicated legacy.
1: Exactly. And that is like the perfect segue into the second caveat, (laughs) which (laughs) is that I chose Lincoln this week in particular because there is this sort of like tug of war happening... I guess on Twitter. I don't know. That's the only outside world I have in my life right now.
0: Seems like the real world to me, for sure.
1: Yeah. Over which party or ideology, conservative or liberal, Lincoln belongs to? Like, is Lincoln the, like, great conservative Republican that we would consider today? Or is he more of this, like, liberal emancipator of slaves, and he belongs on this more progressive side. Either way, whichever party is, quote, like, more like Lincoln is just a strange metric.
0: Yeah, because as I'm sure we'll find out, that is not nec- that is an unqualified thing you would want to be.
1: It's absolutely not. And it's an oversimplification of his legacy on both sides. And um, it's an oversimplification of arguably one of the most significant events, the Civil War, in U.S. history. Okay.
0: Well, then let's dive into both what is maybe appealing about him and also Mm -hmm. what we should be more cognizant of.
1: All right. Born February 12th, 1809. And this is really going to tickle me to have that next to Abraham Lincoln's name. (laughs) I feel like he would enjoy that. Oh, really? No, not at all. This would be <laughs> terrible. He, like you, would hate this. Okay, good. I'm glad. He's an Aquarius. Born on February 12th, uh, Audrey's Astrology Corner, will, would have you know that Aquarians born on this date have quiet strength. They're Wait, wiz- Aquarians? Aquarians. I
0: didn't know there was like a separate, not just Aquariuses, but Aquarians. Does that make me a Leon?
1: You know, listen, buddy. <laughs> I'm not sure that uh, grammatical consistencies are the things that the Zodiac has (laughs) going for it.
0: Scorpions. That's the best one. That's the best one I can think of. Sorry. (laughs) Keep going. Keep going.
1: So, Aquarians, uh, born on February 12th, have a quiet wisdom that is based on karmic experience, yet they can live according to society's constraints. They have the spiritual power to heal other psychic wounds, and their Aquarian nature draws people to them, but... They are loners at heart. So here's where we promise to loop back around to this at the end, where we definitely will not do that.
0: Definitely we'll loop back around and revisit the accuracy. <laughs> because one thing we do is hold ourselves to a strict scientific standard for the astrology.
1: We do. Right. And I mean, you really want to bookend the conversation about the emancipation of slaves with with uh, the horoscope. The horoscope.
0: Perfect. Perfect touch.
1: Born in Illinois. Uh, so that folklore checks out. Oh, it's true. Yeah. One room log cabin. Uh, his family was poor. He was considered honest Abe because he comes from this like salt of the earth, sort of rough around the edges in this like a couple sources referred to it as this like prairie way, which is very funny to me because I grew up in like the actual prairie and Illinois it's is not, not the, the prairie. prairie. No, <laughs> An interesting sort of like foreshadowing of future events that happens in his childhood. So his father, Thomas Lincoln... Is
0: shot in the head. No. Oh, no. I
1: mean, Thomas Lincoln, so Abe's father, witnessed his father, Captain Abraham Lincoln. Like the grandfather. The grandfather die. He was there when that happened, but that's sort of unrelated. Thomas Lincoln bought and leased land in Kentucky before at one point losing all of it in court disputes over property titles. So this like very brief origin story of his childhood is this dispute over land rights and ownership and like what you can do with your property sort of sets the stage. Lincoln experiences a ton of loss throughout his early life. When he's young, his mother dies. Then his sister, who had assumed this like maternal role after his mother died, dies giving birth.
0: Man, a lot of people dying.
1: After that, he's in this courting relationship with this woman who some biographers refer to Lincoln's like actual love of his life. Her name was Anne, and then she died of typhoid fever. So he sort of <laughs> like in this like conciliatory way, starts to date this woman named Mary Owens. They get engaged, but both of them kind of have second thoughts. She's not living in the same place he's living. So he writes her a letter and he's like, listen, if you don't wanna get married, I understand. Just write me back and let me know.
0: He's not really selling himself very well at this point.
1: She ghosts him; never <laughs> writes back.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm saying, kind of see why. By
1: 1839, he's 30. He's unmarried. This is like a whole big thing. It's
0: been a rough go. Sounds like it's been a it's been a life.
1: hmm He meets, and then a year later, marries Mary Todd. Locks that um, one
0: down real fast.
1: No, not real fast. This is not without drama. So they have a wedding date set for January 1st of 1841. Okay. A date that Lincoln in his diaries referred to as, quote, the fatal first.
0: Oh, yikes.
1: He bails. He bails? He bails and then like ignores her for six or seven months. Six or seven months. They reconcile and then get married uh, November of 1841. Yikes. Despite all that, Lincoln was apparently a good father and a husband. He loved being a father, really enjoyed his children. Um, There are some salacious but unverified rumors that Lincoln may or may not have had a number of relationships with men throughout the years. Um, Although we are generally in the business of wild speculation. Yes. That does not apply to someone's sexuality.
0: I would say that's generally like our main, our main Wheelhouse is wild speculation.
1: Yeah, we have well-researched core with a little speculative lanyap. Just like throw it on there, a little salt seasoning. There you go. A lot of folks are like, who cares if he did or didn't? He was not legislating anti-LGBTQ policies, which weren't like even a thing at the time, really. He was um, at most having close perhaps intimate relationships with a few men who are of significance to him. The evidence is mostly in favor of him not being bi.
0: OK, so I am familiar with the Log Cabin Republicans, which is Republicans who are gay, who are advocating for more gay and LGBT. Is this LGBT- today
1: currently talking about? Yeah, so, so okay, that's, contempor- a, that's a faction.
0: Yeah, sorry. So there's a contemporary group today called the Log Cabin Republicans who are a group of, of gay and LGBT. LGBTQ Republicans advocating mm-hmm. for more gay and queer friendly policies within the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. I always assumed that was a uh, allusion to Lincoln. Do you know anything about that?
1: So it might be. I, I actually I didn't even know that I was a faction in the gay community. But here's what I'll say about whether or not there's evidence for Lincoln being in relationships with men. There is one historical novelist named Lewis Bayard, who talked about the fact that Lincoln and this shopkeeper who shared a space with Lincoln, but then they also lived together and they shared a bed for many years. Um, it, but that wasn't unheard of. It was just like chambers were sparse. That was a People luxury. People didn't
0: have a lot of bed money laying yes. around.
1: <laughs> Not a lot of bed money. But Lewis goes back and looks at a lot of the primary source like letters that the two of them wrote to each other. And he noted, quote, the best place to find Lincoln's bared heart is in his letters. The letters, specifically that he wrote to Joshua Speed in 1842. Read them yourself and you will find two men who are frankly terrified by the prospect of marriage, in particular, the wedding night, and who are coaching and coaxing each other into normative heterosexual lifestyles. You will also find a tenderness rare in Lincoln's correspondence. And this is a quote from a Lincoln letter. Lincoln says, I do not feel my own sorrows more keenly than I do yours. You know my desire to befriend you is everlasting, that I will never cease. And then that's the end of what Lincoln said, back to Bayard's quote. And he says, And how does he close his letters? With yours forever, a salutation he bespo- bestowed on no other mortal, least of all his wife. Do with that what you will. There's not a ton of additional evidence to say it was any. there was anything untoward I mean, even if he was having sex with men, that's not untoward. It's just at the time it would have been scandalous.
0: Seems like he's at le- at the very least as emotionally involved with these other men that he's living with and sharing beds with in his life as he was his wife.
1: I mean, that's like before he's married to Mary sure, sure. or around the same time. Um, there's one other like bit of gossip and it is basically gossip that comes from later years referring to his bodyguard. Um, but it can really be pinpointed to like one singular source. And that source was a gossip. Um, but like I said, Lincoln and Mary, they actually have a really pretty strong relationship by most accounts. Um, Lincoln is absent a lot. He's traveling for work. Mary is very well educated. She's kind of doing her own shit. They have four children, but only one survives to adulthood.
0: Oh, yikes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Two die while Lincoln is alive. The kids are like 4 and 12 when they die. I think one of pneumonia and one of a fever. And one dies shortly after Lincoln dies himself. Lincoln experiences lots and lots and lots of loss.
0: Yeah, especially after everybody in his life dying as he was growing up.
1: Yes. So I I don't know if you remember this book that I read that I really enjoyed called A First-Rate Madness. Do you Mm. remember this?
0: Yeah, I remember the book, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's about this relationship between mental illness and leadership. And Lincoln is actually on the cover, but he's profiled heavily throughout the book because he is a leader who very clearly experienced significant depression throughout his adult life. And a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that, like, his children are dying.
0: Yeah, everyone in his life that he (laughs) loves is basically going to be dead before him.
1: Right. Backtracking a little bit professionally, leading up to his marriage with Mary Todd, you know, Lincoln's in his 20s, late 20s. He's involved in a number of political campaigns. He's not very savvy at it at first. Uh, Mary Todd's family is wealthy and has a ton of political connections. And that's really like what bolsters him into the spotlight. But before that, he like loses a couple races. He wins a couple. uh, The Illinois House of Representatives. Then he's like, Springfield town board, he eventually makes it to Congress in the US House of Representatives as a Whig party representative.
0: Uh, the Whigs, the, the true Whigs. the true owners of Lincoln's legacy.
1: Yes. So he stays in Congress for one term and then he's like later days, no thanks. He goes back to Springfield, does a few more political things. Like 5 years later, he decides to run for Senate. At this point in his life is like politics, politics, politics. He's also working as a lawyer doing, quote, every kind of business that could come before a prairie lawyer. More politics, politics, (laughs) politics. He's getting better at it. As he becomes more well-known, obviously, so do his policy positions. He favored business interests and also favored high tariffs, banks, infrastructure improvements, and railroads. Railroads being like a major campaign item that he wins the presidency on. Interesting. Interesting, right? Because
0: there weren't a bunch of railroads. Yeah, right. I take it.
1: Yeah. Right. At the same time, he starts to make a name for himself as an outspoken politician against slavery. And he sort of solidifies his position as an anti-slavery politician when he speaks out against the Dred Scott ruling, which basically said that enslaved people were not citizens and didn't have the rights of citizens. So therefore, they couldn't use the judicial system to become...
0: Yeah. Dred Scott being the kind of the textbook case of terrible Supreme Court precedent that is is on the books and is binding precedent Mm -hmm. for decades and decades before it's eventually overturned. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the the legal foundation for treating black people as not citizens and, and, and lacking
1: rights. Right. And these outspoken policies are used against him. Uh, in all of his political campaigns, but especially during his presidential campaign. The thing is, is that he like wasn't actually radical in his anti-slavery beliefs, um, especially not by any metric of today. He was, even for the time, moderate.
0: Yeah, he- the slavery position today is, no.
1: Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> slavery position back then was like, well, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Right? He's... He's the tepid, he's the tepid anti-slavery person. I
1: mean, he has a line that in one of his, in one of his speeches that is painfully like when Trump said like good people on both sides, you know, it feels pretty bad. But at the time, there are very few people who were explicitly about racial equality. So there are lots of folks who are anti-slavery. Very, very, very few. And I'm talking like a handful of publicly known people who were about racial equality. Henry David Thoreau was one. Mm. John Brown was another. There were many who were actually like killed as a result of this. And there was sort of an obscure senator or congressman who's actually like caned on the Senate floor for giving like a speech about racial equality.
0: Who caned him?
1: Other senators. Other senators senators beat
0: him with a cane?
1: Multiple canes. Multiple? Their canes. The canes (laughs) they carried on their body. Because they were
0: like 1,800 senators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just just for giving a speech in favor of racial equality. Yes. So not a popular position.
1: No. Lincoln was not one of these folks about racial equality. You know, every time I think
0: our politics is bad, and it is, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of unfortunate similarities, uh, I'm glad we're not yet at the... Back to the physical violence on the Senate floor level.
1: I mean, yeah, and Rand Paul wants to cry about some folks screaming in his face this yeah, week. Come like, on, get 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 over come on. Back to Lincoln, not about racial equality, simply anti-slavery. In fact, one of his most famous debates—it's the Lincoln-Douglas debate—and I think this was when he was running for Senate. He said, "Quote: I am not, nor have I ever been, in favor of bringing about in any way." the social and political equality of the white and black races. I am not, nor have I ever been in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to hold office, nor to intermarry with white people. And I will say, in addition to this, that there is a physical difference between the white and black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races from living together on terms of social and political equality. And inasmuch as they cannot so live, While they do remain together, there must be a position of superior and inferior. And I, as much as any other man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. So Lincoln is
0: explicitly a white supremacist.
1: By today's standards, yeah. Not even, I mean, like, we
0: say by today's standards, by today's definition. Like, if you just say, like... Do you believe in the superiority enshrined in law of the of white people over others? Yes.
1: I mean, it's uncomfortable to say that Abraham Lincoln was a white supremacist, but he was a white supremacist in yeah. his own words.
0: Yeah, in his own words.
1: Especially early in his political career. His position on racial equality does evolve, not substantially, but we'll see that he like...
0: Around the edges.
1: Around the edges as he gets to know more and more black people... During the Civil War, folks like Frederick Douglass engage him in like rigorous conversation. He does soften to the extent that he starts to believe there is an elite group of black people, Mm. which is also very bad.
0: Yeah, right. This exceptionalism story, right? And like, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, it it is making all of the human rights and like legal citizen rights contingent on this performance of respectability that like then we see echoes of to today.
1: Oh, yeah, it is entrenched in all of our policies yeah. and culture. Absolutely. So this is a man who in 1860 gets elected to the presidency, the very first Republican. Which Wait, he's is... the
0: very first Republican elected to president. Yes. Not a Whig. He left the Whig Party.
1: He left the Whig Party because the Republican Party was founded explicitly to oppose, quote, slave power. And not the power of the enslaved, but the power of the enslavers. So let me get specific on that. There is a Vox.com article by Andrew Prokop. And in it, it's actually called, it's like the Republican Party from Lincoln to Trump in 13 maps. And it shows how demographics shifted and economics and all of this, how the party has evolved. But he talks about how for the first half century after the United States founding, slavery was only one of many issues in the country's politics. And it was relatively minor at that. So the American South based its economy on the enslavement of millions. And the two major parties, which by the 1850s were the Democrats and the Whigs, were sort of like willing to let southern states do this.
0: Willing to have, yes, an economy Mm -hmm. based around forced labor camps.
1: Yes. the The economy in the north was much more industrial. But when the U.S. started admitting more and more western states... The actually the Kansas Nebraska Act. I don't know if you know much about this. Probably didn't have to take Kansas history when you were growing up. I did not. Established that Kansas Nebraska these territories territories would become states, but there was this question lingering. Like, okay, so now we're admitting these states to the union. Are they free states? Are they slave states? Because it's going to tip the balance of power. Interesting, right? So there's all of this like political rumbling happening. So this was. An enormously consequential decision or question because the more slave states there were, the easier it would be for the slaveholding states to get their way in the Senate and Electoral College. So while not calling for abolishing slavery where it already existed and certainly not calling for racial equality, this new party would be resolutely opposed to expanding slavery any further. Its supporters and sympathizers won an impressive share of seats in Congress and it became known as the Republican Party.
0: So it was the keep the slavery like it is party. Mm-hmm. Got yep. it. And the and US is going to go around it, but just keep the slavery like it is and we'll all be fine.
1: Yes. Still, that is too much for many slave states to handle. There are a lot of folks and a lot of states who do not like this idea that it, the federal government could tell the states what to do. So Lincoln is nominated, and this is a major deal. Even before his inauguration, South Carolina secedes. One paragraph history about the formation of the Confederacy. So by February 1st, after South Carolina secedes, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, and Texas follow. Six of these states declared themselves to be a sovereign nation. The Confederate States of America. They adopted a constitution. There are upper south states and border states, so Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, and Arkansas, who initially reject this secession appeal. President Buchanan and President-elect Lincoln refused to recognize the Confederacy as it formed. They declared the secession illegal, and the Confederacy was like, fuck you, our president, Jefferson Davis, has some things to say about that. That is the one paragraph... History of like Lincoln gets into power, all these states say
0: his election is the precipitating force for the precipitating force. secession.
1: Yes, March fourth of eighteen sixty one, Lincoln gives an inaugural address. He's trying to sort of like calm the concerns of this sort of like uh, erupting volcano all around him, and okay. so he says. Quote, I have no purpose, directly or indirectly, to interfere with the institution of slavery in the states where it exists. I believe I have no lawful right to do so, and I have no inclination to do so.
0: He's like, let them be. Mm -hmm. Keep your slaves.
1: He is like, I'm not going to stop slavery. I'm just going to stop the expansion of slavery.
0: Again, it's what the party was founded for.
1: Exactly. And what he got elected to do.
0: But it is just not good enough for these southern states.
1: Yes. He takes a stance that the Union is not going to instigate a war, that Lincoln's soldiers will not be the ones to fire the first shot, that he is going to continue to work to politically calm this issue, you know, reintegrate the Confederate states, sort of like, hey, no harm, no foul. Let's all get along. By April... Uh, the Confederate Army starts firing on Union soldiers in South Carolina. It's game on. Yeah. Let's go. You know, he wasn't going to fire the first shot, but he also saw the Confederacy as an illegal body. And so they can't just be firing on Union stations. They can't... Or soldiers. They can't be taking forts. They can't be doing any of this stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you you start firing guns at the government, I would assume the government takes issue with that.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Lincoln took... Really, really, really big issue with this. In so many ways, rightfully so. And in so many ways, a lot of us would have major problems with today. A lot of his wartime strategy and governing was, even for the time, considered questionable. So he expanded his own war powers unilaterally. He imposed a blockade on Confederate ports. He dispersed funds before appropriation by Congress. He suspended habeas corpus, and he arrested and imprisoned thousands of suspected Confederate sympathizers.
0: Yeah, basically just like as much as the seceding states are just ignoring the Constitution and declaring extra legal authority, he's basically doing the same thing in defense of what he's hoping to preserve the union for. Yes. But yeah, all of all of the things that we take for granted, he's basically saying you have no civil rights mm-hmm. if if you've left this the bounds of this constitutional uh, authority, then none of its protections apply to you either.
1: The war is not an ideal scenario for Americans, obviously, and it was complicated by a number of concerns. A big part of that was, you know, there were a- elections happening that the year after he's takes office. So in 1862, Republicans, who's this brand new party who had all of this momentum, they take a ton of losses. The party... In in the
0: northern states that are still having the elections, I take it? Yes,
1: yes. Rising inflation, high taxes, rumors of corruption. The habeas corpus issue was kind of a big deal for them. They did not like being drafted. And there were these unfounded and sort of vamped up fears that freed slaves would come to the north and undermine the labor market.
0: Wait. So people are like, we don't like when you can arrest us with like no charges and just throw us in prison. Mm-hmm. And also, we don't really love the taxes mm-hmm. and being drafted. And also, we're afraid of the slaves coming up. Yes. And taking our jobs.
1: Yes. So it's politically complicated.
0: Yeah. Well, and and frankly, like the fact that they lost the elections is, uh, yeah, it's not surprising. I guess if you've if you've gotten yourself into this war situation, mm-hmm. but it does seem inconvenient.
1: Yeah. And so Lincoln sort of takes this approach where he walks this fine line between wanting to take action to preserve the Union, but also wanting to, as often as possible, sort of like state what his own personal moral beliefs are, which are in conflict with what he sees as his political duty. In 1862, Lincoln writes this letter and in this letter, he says, quote, My paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union and is not either to save or to destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because I believe it helps to save the Union. And what I forbear, I forbear because I do not believe it would help to save the Union. I have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty, and I intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free.
0: He's saying his one job is to try to keep one country. He's not going to let anything stop him trying to keep one country. Doesn't matter if it's morally right or wrong. If it it requires keeping slaves, he's going to just keep the country together.
1: Yes. And so this idea that he's like this great emancipator on this moral crusade to free slaves is just like a, a misconstruction of history.
0: Yeah, it's clearly not the thing that he's most concerned about. It's not that he's like waging the war. He is in a position of political power trying to preserve the American experiment that's like that's what he cares about that's what he that's what he wants to do and i imagine in tough elections uh this 1862 mm-hmm. around the election time is right when the emancipation proclamation happens indeed which is like basically at this point gets a lot of play gets a lot of credit for it is mm-hmm. not enforced has no ability to enforce it right yeah this is just like a play to like rally support for the cause
1: that's accurate the, i mean the civil war doesn't end for 3 more years
0: yeah And so the the practical effect is just trying to send a message to the voters to be like, oh, we are we are going to end this battle over slave states and non-slave states by Mm -hmm. just like getting rid of the slave states after this.
1: Yeah. Indeed. And, you know, that doesn't really go over well with the Confederacy. (laughs) I would would imagine not. Yeah. It's not like the union is enforcing any sort of laws in the Confederate states. No,
0: they're fighting to just like enforce having the land accessible to them
1: yeah <laughs> yeah they're fighting to like just quell this insurrection so the war continued throughout lincoln's re-election campaign in 1864 and there was really serious doubt that he could win he does end up winning he gives a second inaugural address in march of 1865 in which he blames the civil war casualties on god's will
0: Oh, that's a weird, that's a weird angle to take right there.
1: It's a weird angle to blame civil war casualties on God's will. As opposed to the slave owners killing people
0: to keep their slaves.
1: Yeah, right? And also, like, you can't take, you you can't be absolved of your responsibility in the death of millions of people by blaming God, but also not stand, stand firm in this being, like, a moral cause.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, that's the weird part. Like, he doesn't even claim the moral high ground. Right? He's, like, separated out this political mission from what he thinks is the moral thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so he's not even saying, like, we are the the right side of this fight. We're not on the moral side of this fight. No. Yeah, uh, that's that's weird. Feels weird.
1: Gives that inauguration speech, March 1865, April 9th, 1865, the Confederacy surrenders. Civil war effectively over.
0: Wait, between March and April. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he, he gets reelected, and then that's basically the end of the war.
1: Yes, and then five days later, it's the end of his life. <laughs> this is the... Mission accomplished. Yes, he did it. Um, John Wilkes Booth shoots him in the head at the theater. He dies essentially the next day. Obviously, the retelling of uh, the Civil War and Lincoln's role in it has been a gross oversimplification in about 30 minutes. But it... You know, a lot of our understanding of Lincoln's life is that oversimplification. And over the past 20 years or so, there has been this tremendous exploration into the question of whether or not Lincoln was actually racist or white supremacist.
0: Earlier, from his own words, he meets the literal definition of Mm -hmm. what we would consider a white supremacist. And you would say, okay, if society at large is explicitly white supremacist, do you care less if he was because he was a product of his time? But like that part doesn't seem up for debate to me at all.
1: Right. It doesn't. It also, like there are people who are actively campaigning for racial equity at the time. It's not like this is a concept that is not in like the dialogue of politics in the world. One author, this historian, Henry Louis Gates, wrote in 2009... That whereas abolition was a central aspect of Lincoln's moral compass, racial equality was not. Lincoln despised slavery as an institution, an economic institution that discriminated against white men who couldn't afford to own slaves and thus could not profit from the advantage in the marketplace that slaves provided. At the same time, however... He was deeply ambivalent about the status of black people vis-a-vis white people, having fundamental doubts about their innate innate intelligence and their capacity to fight nobly with guns against white men in the initial years of the Civil War. In that same article, he concludes that Lincoln certainly embraced anti-black attitudes and phobias in his early years and throughout his debates with Douglas in the 1858 Senate race. By the end of the Civil War, Lincoln was on an upward arc, perhaps heading toward becoming a man he has since been... Mythologized. mythologized as being the great emancipator, the man who freed and loved the slaves. But his journey was certainly not complete on the day that he died, and he wrestled with race up until the end. I think like Lincoln, the Republican Party, Republican Party's relationship with race has evolved in like demonstrably different ways. And so it's very strange... When there are very far-right conservatives claiming Lincoln as their president, Um, it's very strange when very far-left, I don't want to say there's no very far-left liberal claiming Lincoln, but there are, like, liberals who talk about Lincoln as if he were this, like, actual myth of a man. Back to that Vox article that talked about the evolution of the Republican Party, it said... Quote, for a brief period after the Civil War, Republicans truly fought for the rights of black Americans. Republicans drove to pass the country's first civil rights bill in 1866 and to fight for and to fight for voting rights for black men, though not yet women, at a time when such an idea was still controversial, even in the north. Uh, It goes on to say white evangelical Christians became newly mobilized over the past hundred years to oppose abortion and to take stands on other, quote, culture war issues and therefore felt far more at home with the conservative party, which increasingly became the Republican Party. Um, There was also the suspicion of big government. And there's a lack of union organization that permeated a lot of Republican strongholds. Um, also, there's, you know, talented politicians like Ronald Reagan, who promised to, quote, defend traditional values. There are also a number of other nuanced influences that have played a part in the construction of the story of Lincoln and his Republican Party that um, are not accounted for in retellings of his life or embodied by the modern-day Republican Party. So that is Abraham Lincoln. Messy, white supremacist, not my hero. And also, we probably don't need the penny. Do you think (laughs) it's rude to call him a sad boy? I feel like that's another qualifier. Sad Boy Lincoln.
0: Sad Boy Lincoln. I mean, justifiably Sad Boy Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Lots of people dead. Lots of dead people. Had a real tough go of it. Didn't, like, go, finally scrape by, get the Civil War won, get the South. They lose, and then don't even get to enjoy it, really.
1: No, I feel like even if he had lived another multiple decades, he would not have enjoyed much. He was was not the enjoying sort. No,
0: no. Mm. Um... If you are the enjoying sort,
1: or a sad boy,
0: or a sad boy, sad boy's welcome.
1: We're very inclusive.
0: You can enjoy more of our premium quality anti racist, not white supremacist content by following us at your heroes pod
1: mm-hmm.
0: on, I was gonna say, Linkstagram. <laughs> that's not, that's not, not the quite thing. quite,
1: <laughs> very close. That's a, that is our trademark. Um, mashup of linkedin and instagram <laughs> no you can find us on twitter and instagram at your heroes pod or meet, or
0: meet your heroes that's
1: the one yeah um
0: if you like websites
1: you don't really need it with the podcast no if you found us you found us that's true you're here go rate and review us yes please that would be really nice um and until next week
0: when we completely ignore the horoscopes at the end of the show again. Ah! Don't be a hero.
1: Don't be a hero. Bye.